Welcome to the Canon Care Podcast, brought to you by M3. I'm Sarah Kukula, Director of Senior Living and Social Services at M3. And I'm Marlia Coiler-Grayhek, Risk Manager at M3. Each episode of the Candid Care Podcast promises to challenge your current thinking about the long-term care industry and introduce concepts to improve your organization and advance the field. From executive risks to key strategies, we'll approach each topic from multiple angles and invite leaders with unique perspectives to join in the conversation. Please be advised this podcast and the recommendations throughout are not intended as legal advice and should not be used as or relied upon as legal advice. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Welcome back, listeners. Today, Sarah and I are extending a big candid care welcome to an esteemed colleague of ours, Matt Thompson. Matt is the Director of Cyber Liability at M3 Insurance. And he has an extensive background in the world of cyber and network security. He's even worked with, I don't know if I can say this, Matt, but the NSA on some super secret projects. So welcome, Matt. <laughs> we can edit Thank that you. out Thank if you. needed. <laughs> so Matt, tell us a bit about kind of the state of the market in terms of cyber activity particularly because you obviously deal with multiple industries, but with healthcare, because obviously we're seeing right now, healthcare is a really big target for cyber criminals. So walk us through why that is and just what you're seeing in general. What's going on? Yeah, thanks, Marlia. To that point, healthcare is month in, month out, continuously one of the top three to five targeted industries by the cyber attackers. And that's attributable to a few different things. The data that is held within any type of healthcare organization is some of the most valuable data on the dark web. And the attackers know that. And therefore, when it comes to any sort of ransomware or extortion, they know that they can likely get a healthcare organization to, to pay because they don't want that data released. One, because you know, what kind of reputational risk does that incur? And two, because they don't want that information getting out there because it is very sensitive to their patients. And I think the other aspect that often gets healthcare organizations to pay ransoms in a ransomware or any sort of extortion from the cyber criminals is the impact it can have to patient to resident care. So we've got electronic health records as the sensors and different types of monitoring that they utilize to provide that really good care, it opens up the realm of vulnerable systems that much more. So they want to be able to bring that care back to where it needs to be. Yeah, there's that operational urgency. If it's a manufacturing plant, obviously they can shut down their equipment. Healthcare mm -hmm. just can't stop doing business, maybe like other industries can. Mm -hmm. Yes. Matt, you mentioned a little bit, or you alluded to the wearable devices. I like to think that only happens in a James Bond movie and not in reality, or that really isn't a, a clear threat. But I think I'm wrong in that regard. So when we're talking about wearable devices, there is, if I'm understanding correctly, a threat that those devices could be hacked yes. with a, a bad threat actor and which could result in harm to the individual 
possibly wearing said device, depending upon the purpose of said device. Very interesting. Also terrifying. But it's important that providers are aware of that so we can look at systems to mitigate that exposure and that risk, like you said. I think on that piece, too, of recent times, one, thankfully, there haven't been many mainstream compromises that have stemmed from those wearable devices. Mm. Most of that has been through different sort of research and within the security community. But I think the other thing to keep in mind about those wearable devices is that some of the regulatory agencies are, are very aware of that. And within the last couple of years, the FDA is really working towards having minimum cybersecurity standards mm -hmm. and continuous updates to those wearable technologies so that we can try and get as much ahead of it and protect those as much as possible. Yeah. I think it's what Marlia and I have consulted our clients on, and we know you have done the same, is the pace at which things are changing is so fast that it is important to be constantly assessing what is happening out in the landscape, but moreover, what are your systems and controls to keep up with those changes externally as well. I think that's important for everyone to be aware of is that it is possibly going to feel like you're constantly touching maybe internal policies, procedures, processes, et cetera, to keep up with some of these changes. But that's truly how quickly things are changing outside when it comes to when we think about generative AI and where we are today versus where we were 12 months ago. Yeah, the quote that I've heard in a webinar that I attended was that generative AI will never be dumber than it is today. <laughs> it will only continue to get smarter. Just like myself. <laughs> yes. But I, this is helpful because I think what would be good to hear from your perspective, what are those things, what are those action items that long-term care providers should be prioritizing, recognizing the changing landscape, all the things that are happening, what's maybe down the pipeline, what have you. From your perspective, give us an idea as to what you think they should be putting at the top of their project list for 2024. Yeah, I think when we talk about cyber and cyber risk management, the key word is the resilience around your operations in light of any sort of cyber incident. So developing and implementing a good incident response plan. And as part of that, realizing it's not just an IT problem. Mm -hmm. So how can you continue your care and operations if your electronic me medical record system is down or if your email or phone system is down that you can't call in prescriptions. Or, or the third-party IT uh, vendor that you might use or HR payroll vendor is down and you're not able to access business records or submit payroll, et cetera. A lot of different possible scenarios to play there, right? Sorry exactly. to interrupt you, but... No, yeah. It, but we, we were able to do it 20, 30, 40, 50 plus years ago without the computer system. So yes, computers and technology can make us better and more efficient, but ultimately we still need to care for the people who are put in our care. And then once you have that plan, taking the next step and doing a tabletop exercise or what I like to call the cyber fire drill. 
saying, okay, now something happened, bringing in whether it's M3 or another provider that you trust to come in and say, okay, now you've got your plan. Let's put it to the test in a hypothetical situation. They're going to throw a few wrenches at you and see how you can react and pivot based off of what's in your plan and what things you considered or maybe didn't consider. Yeah. And even before, obviously, you need to have a, a plan to test it. So I think a lot yep. of our providers that we're working with are in that that early process of what does this plan look like? So to your point of what should be a priority for this year, if you don't have what we call an incident response plan, if you don't have that yet, that should really be on the top of your list to to start putting together. So you can do that next step of testing it and seeing where your gaps are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not saying that it needs to be a 200 page document, but think through who am I going to call in an incident? Who can make certain decisions to say, yep, everybody needs to go to manually tracking their hours because our payroll system is down? Or how do we provide the care necessary when we can't access the electronic medical records? Do we have another provider that we're sharing a copy with that's off of our current network? And maybe one or two people have been a backup access to it. There's a wealth of possibilities, but just looking at what the most critical components to your organization are and how do we still operate without those technology systems. Mm-hmm. And making it a part of your overall emergency preparedness plan. So going yeah. back to your hazard vulnerability assessment, making sure that a cyber event is incorporated with that piece. And for mm-hmm. like our CMS regulated providers, making it a part of your annual, not that you have to do it annually, maybe mm-hmm. for this next year or so, making it a part of your plan to do that exercise as your required tabletop exercise that you have to do mm-hmm. anyway. And what's the one thing we all know to be true is that when a network security breach or event does happen, it's always on a holiday, it's on the weekend, it's late at night, it's happened, probably they've been in your system for a few days. It's never, I'm going to use this loosely, the right time. And then Matt, I'll take a phrase out of your mouth, but it's really not a matter of if, but when. I think providers and organizations need to have that frame of of mind when thinking about their network security strategy and how they approach it. Again, post-incident, having that incident response plan is going to be mission critical to ensuring prompt response and timeliness of said response. Correct. Yeah. And that whole, at the worst time possible, I got to call it about Two o'clock in the afternoon on Christmas Day, a manufacturer, a client of ours that had a ransomware that happened and they found out on Christmas Day. And that's intentional because we know threat actors will take advantage of things like that or other even geopolitical events, right? Correct. Conflicts overseas. And that is an opportunity for them to enact harm through these breaches and events. But Besides an incident response plan, what other suggestions or recommendations do you have for our clients? I think the other couple of remaining things are what we say in, in cyber is trust, but verify. So utilizing a trusted third party. So you may have internal IT or a managed IT provider and, and they could be very upstanding, good teams know what they're doing, but human error is a thing and, and having a second set of eyes who can come in and assess, hey, maybe that system that you set up six months ago, something has changed in your environment and they're going to find those loopholes that can be brought into an environment that you didn't consider. So engaging that third party auditor, whether it's called a vulnerability scan or penetration test, or even if you're just looking at your policies and procedures, an auditor who's going to come in and say, 
hey, show me that you're doing A, B, C and show me proof of that. And then I think that all rolls up into looking at your strategic planning and determining, okay, based off of the results of some of these assessments, where do I need to put some additional focus? Is it on improving my security awareness training? Is it on improving and maybe looking at a different endpoint detection response, or maybe even moving to a managed detection response vendor who's I liken that to basically having a cybersecurity guard there watching your systems to see if something abnormal is happening. And then finally, cyber, it is a executive and board level risk. So it's not just an IT problem. You should be talking at your executive team and it should be a topic, maybe not necessarily every month, but a topic that is talked about frequently enough, at least a quarterly basis with your board. Yeah, I think it's important Mm -hmm. that they, obviously not every board member needs to be an expert in cybersecurity, but I think they do need to be comfortable enough with it to speak to it and weigh in on, from a risk perspective, we talk about risk tolerance and mitigation. They need to weigh in on that. What, as an organization, what risks are we willing to take on? What do we need to do from the mitigation side of things to to plan for that? So they should be a part of that. And I've seen this in practice. I've seen a number of groups that we work with embed this as a standing agenda item on said board meetings and then looking at, for example, on a quarterly basis, bringing in your respective risk management consultant partner to talk through not only maybe what you've done thus far, but again, taking you to the future about opportunities or considerations long term for the organization to consider so that we can start to budget for what that might look like as, again, things are changing so rapidly, whether that's additional staff looking to contract with a third party, investment in infrastructure, hardware, equipment, et cetera, et cetera. So I've definitely seen this put into practice and seen a lot of groups do this very successfully. So if you haven't thought about doing it or aren't doing it yet, I know that we have some really practical ways that uh, groups can put this into practice wherever they are at today. So speaking of the board, this kind of ties back to what you just said, but what are the, the three to five things maybe that you would recommend if I'm a board member, maybe I should be asking this, but moreover, if I'm a leadership member of a long-term care organization, these are the five things I want to report up to my board or report to my board to make them aware of. Can you give us an idea as to what your recommendation would be on those yeah. things? Like, what should so, we be talking about? Yeah, exactly. So in line with what we've been talking about and providing a status update of what are your plans in an incident? And how did that tabletop exercise go? Giving them some insight into, hey, super high level, this was a scenario. These were some hiccups we ran into and this is how we're going to handle it. And some of that even rests then as point number two, where does our cyber insurance stand? Because you can have the best plan in place, but the kind of underlying piece, much if you were to have a fire or tornado or slip strip falls, any of that, the cyber insurance piece can be the difference between your organization still existing tomorrow. That's a worst case scenario, but how many organizations have half a million dollars or more to potentially pay a cyber threat actor if they get ransomware or being extorted for their personal health information data that was stolen? Yeah. And Um, just to, to put some more context behind that, Matt, I think if we even think about the inflationary increases that we've all been seeing, whether it's at the grocery store, whether it's product purchasing, whether it's insurance, what have you, we know the cost of things are going up. And the same can be said, correct me if I'm wrong, when we talk about the average ransomware claim 
has certainly yep. increased in recent years, right? It's not going to cost, they aren't asking for the same amount of money today as they were two to three to five years ago by any means. So are you certain that you've benchmarked your limits and do they make sense for where you're at today? And if you haven't asked that question, you should be. Absolutely. Yes. So to that point, just to piggyback off of that, is that one of the statistics that I read from some of the different incident response firms that our clients wind up working with is the number or the percentage of ransomware events that start at a million dollars or more has jumped from about two years ago, it was at 20 to 25% to about 47% of ransomware or at least the initial ransom demand is a million dollars or more. So almost doubling yeah. and it continues to grow. And then the other couple items to talk about with your board are what's your ongoing technology and related security roadmap. So if we're going to invest in a technology, at least ask the question around, does this incur any other security considerations we need to make? What's our longer term strategy to support this? Is that all built into the contract with the provider of that technology? Any cyber audit results? So just saying, hey, hopefully it's good news. There might be an audit firm that comes in and says, yeah, we found a couple things. Nothing is too crazy. It's going to take you a little bit of time to fix them, but we think you're doing all right. That's a good story to tell. But I think it helps the board understand and get purview into that the investments the organization is making in cyber controls is having an impact and a benefit. And then finally, particularly heading into 2024, there's going to be some potential for some regulatory changes coming. Great. More regulatory changes. Just great. We, <laughs> we don't have enough already. Oh, super helpful. And that's a really good perspective. And certainly we value your insights. I think what might be helpful is, can you speak a little bit more about Given all the changes that have happened, that we anticipate the pace of play in this industry, the increased severity of events, what do you recommend providers consider doing and who should they partner with so that they can ensure they are tackling the topics we just addressed, but moreover, poising themselves in the best position possible to prevent a breach from occurring or also have the right partner alongside them when a breach does occur? Yeah, I think not to toot our own horn a little bit, but working with a broker like M3, who is more than just a broker who's providing you the insurance, but looking at your holistic risk management strategy and as part of that, your cyber risk management strategy and relying on us to either help guide you directly or some partnerships that we might have. I can put you in contact with the experts in a specific HIPAA cyber audit or a healthcare specific cyber audit, or at least at a minimum, ones who have worked within the healthcare and long-term care sector that can come in and they're not just going to take the stereotypical computer-based network approach, but are going to look at things like wearable technologies or other healthcare-related technologies and, and give you that perspective of a risk as it applies to your business and your industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Matt, as we look to wrap up here, What's coming down the pipeline, cyber network security wise, that you think providers need to know? Or what would be some closing remarks if you had any to really resonate with our audience? Because I think when Sarah and I do talk about this or when we ask people what's keeping you up at night, of course, cyber is right at the top of their list. Our 
providers, they're experts in providing healthcare, right? They're not cyber experts. So what can you say to maybe ease their mind a little bit or give us some insight into what's coming? Yeah. So to continue on that regulatory changes piece, the Department of Health and Human Services put out some guidance or at least a draft proposal of some plans for changes in the cyber requirements. One is to get Medicare, Medicaid payments. There's going to be some cyber requirements to get those payments. And again, this is all proposed. And they're also looking at updating the cyber requirements in the HIPAA guidance absolutely keeping informed of that's coming down in, in 2024. On the flip side, on the positive note, if you already have cyber insurance and are continuing on that pathway to many of the controls that cyber insurance wants to see are right in line. They're based off of a lot of the same security frameworks that are out there to say, are you using multi-factor authentication? Do you have good awareness training? Are you backing up your systems? Are you testing your backups, your instant response plans? So it's all the same things that we're talking about here is what I would expect to have in there. And the other thing is there's also some proposals of some financial incentives that organizations can apply for to help them implement some of these technologies. So it's not all doom and gloom of all this new regulation is going to be coming. Good luck. Hopefully you can prepare for it. But Hey, we understand we're going to try and give you as much of the tools and capabilities as feasibly possible to make it so it's not such an arduous task. One thing I like to always hit home on, too, is think of the time if you do have a cyber breach or a network security issue. The time that you spend responding to that and dealing with that, all of the hours that go into that, if you put that on the reverse side in terms of preparation, Think how far ahead you'll be or how much more prepared you'll be to save on the back end in terms of those resources. So I'd like to frame it that way because it, it can seem pretty daunting to to tackle all of these things. But thinking about it from that side of things, I think, helps to put it in perspective a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Wow. Phenomenal conversation, Matt. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise and discussing with me and Marlia your thoughts with regards to network security, cyber trends, all things cyber related. Really appreciate your time and grateful for your partnership. And we look forward to the next podcast where you'll talk all about generative AI and your perspective on that front, because <laughs> that's a whole other episode. Absolutely. Happy to do it. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Candid Care Podcast brought to you by M3. Connect with us at m3ins.com for access to more resources, insight, and to join the conversation.